0: There, I think probably all who are coming will have dragged themselves away from lunch by now. Probably, uh, others others might come in. Well, well, that's that, that, that's fine. Um, so, I what I mean earlier on, you know, the last talk I I stood up there and I ranted and I raved and I pounded my Bible because it was lecture format. Um, But but what what we're going to look at today is just going to be much better in a a kind of a discussional, just going through the scriptures together and and people like responding, you know, sort of like, are you getting the point? So so, so we'll do this, I think, um, much, much more discussional. So I've got the mic there and it's pointing to you lot. So hopefully (laughs) any interaction will, you know, kind of get get picked up. Um, But what what the actual... um, you know sort of thing that we 're going to be looking at I mean er- earlier on, I was defining the four the four constituent parts of a biblical church and uh, we saw house based um, open meetings, the lord's Supper is a full meal, and no hierarchical outside um, control um, and you know we were just seeing it as family so so that kind of gave a general you know the whole picture, but what we want to do in in this one is to just home in on one of the aspects other other guys here are doing. The other aspects, but what, what we're going to look at this afternoon is specifically what I was saying that when, when churches came together um, in the New Testament times, they, they came together for a gathering that was completely open <coughs> and participatory. So the point is the, the concept that we have of um, you know, having, sort of like on a Sunday, meetings led from the front. Now, I mean, a biblical church may well have Bible study during the week, and that may well be, you know, a lecture format type thing. That's fine. But we're talking about when the whole church comes together on on the Lord's Day, we're basically going to see the early church did not have services. They didn't have anything that even looked like a service. It would have been totally unrecognisable to people whose own experience have been in uh, existing unbiblical churches. So, basically, we just want to see this in the Scripture. Um, and uh, you know, it might surprise you uh, what we find. But what we're basically going to do, I think will be the most helpful thing, is we're, we're just going to have a real zip through 1 Corinthians and we're just going to, you know, have, have a good look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, now, we can, we can leave 1 Corinthians 13 out, not because it doesn't matter or isn't important, <laughs> but because that is Paul saying everything I'm now talking to you about, if there's no love in it, it's a waste of time. So I'm going to take that as read, because obviously this is a study about something. It's not a study about everything, all right? So obviously we have to draw the line. But um, so if, if, if you, you know, just have your uh, uh, Bibles open at 1 Corinthians 12. Now, just give you a bit of background, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, what basically Paul starts doing Uh, is he leaves the other issues that he's been dealing with. The Corinthians have written to him um, a letter and asked loads of questions. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, he, he he, he begins now to address the question of what the Corinthians were doing when they came together on the Lord's Day. And there were certain abuses going on in the church. There were certain things that they were doing in a wrong way. At no point does Paul say that their practice is wrong but they were practicing their practice all wrong. Can you can you see what I mean? We'll see that as we as we go through it. And 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 one of the things that he was homing in on, and uh, Steve will be, uh, Steve or is it Brian Anderson will presumably be dealing with it in um another talk, um was was they had the Lord's <laughs> Supper as a full meal. But because they weren't in right relationship to each other, this the Lord's Supper called also in the Bible the Love Feast is. A supper that well I mean it's a meal that you have together that represents various things that you know, represents that you have been saved as an individual in the new covenant your sins are forgiven but it represents our relationship together and therefore to eat the love feast without being in right relationship with each other and those gathered is course of course a mockery and the Corinthians were not getting on very well together yet they were still eating the love feast and in fact uh, Corinth's background was that they, they had a, a particularly nasty temple in Corinth, uh, which was the temple of Diana, and, and this, this was like the goddess of love or lust, and it was temple prostitution. Love feasts were quite common. When Christians had love feasts, they were just doing what other people were already doing, but, and, and, and so you could get pagan love feasts. And the ones down at the temple were idolatrous, they were drunken, they were immoral, and indeed the prostitutes were the priestesses. And that is what I mean Corinth became a byword even in Greek Greek culture, so that to Corinthianize actually to the Greeks came to mean to you know, to spoil someone morally. So, so the Corinthians really were um, a degenerate lot when it came to sexual morality and stuff like that. And, and of course, some of the guys in the Corinthian church were, had been converted out of the, the Greeks. Some of them were Jews, but some of them were Greek Corinthians. And these were the guys, and Paul is addressing this, even at the end of 2 Corinthians, they're still going down to the temple prostitutes. So the problem is, you've got people in the church, they're, they're believers, they're saved, they're coming to the church love feast, i.e. they're coming to you know, their, their church on a Sunday. Uh, but also they're still going down to the temple and, and doing the drunken orgy thing. And those guys were bringing elements of that into the love feast, and some of them were even getting drunk. Now, just for those who believe in bread and wine services, if you think that's what the early church did, how did they get drunk on a, a bread and wine service? Well, they should bought your own, obviously, but, you know, it's the point, because it was a meal, and they they ate normal food, and they tended to drink wine. So, so, So the point is, Paul is leading up, and also the rich were abusing the poor and turning up early, bringing most of the food, eating it, so when the poor turned up, there was hardly anything for them. So the Corinthian church was in moral chaos, moral and relational chaos, and the fact that they were... Uh, kind of still having the love feast, God's judgment was coming down on them, and and some of them, the sin unto death, um, which is simply when God says to a believer, I can do nothing more with you, come home where you can't cause any more damage, right? And uh, some of them were actually dying, you know, like Ananias and Sapphira um, had done a few years earlier. So, and, and in chapter 10, what he does is he takes the Corinthians back to the Old Testament history of when Moses was receiving the commandments, the Old Covenant on Mount Sinai, and, uh, and what happened was, when he came down, what were, what were the Israelites doing? Well, they were having a pagan love feast. They'd done a big idolatry thing. They were getting drunk. They were reveling. There was doubtless immorality as well. And um, Paul takes them back to that, and, of course, this is him introducing the subject. And he says, look, all these things are there for a warning. And he reminds them that God's judgment came down on Israel. So in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's introducing the idea that you can have uh, love feasts which are idolatrous and wrong. All right? Uh, And of course, because what he's going to do is to say, and the way you're behaving at the love feast is making it like Israel back then, you see. So he's begun his argument of dealing with the problems that the Corinthians had on the Lord's day. And indeed... Uh, Halfway through chapter 10, immediately, him having referred them back to God's judgment on Israel for this idolatrous love feast at the foot of Mount Sinai, we then get the verses about the cup of thanksgiving being a participation in the blood of Christ and the, the, the bread being so clearly, he's addressing there the love feast. So what we know is, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul begins his treatment of dealing with what the Corinthians were getting up to when they came together for what you might call their Lord's Day meeting, okay? So that's the context. And, uh, I mean, he deals as well with the issue of women, you know, praying and prophesying, which, I mean, it's... It's not our subject, I take it to mean that the ladies should have long hair, um, you know, but there are different things you can get out of that, but that's you know but that's that's not our subject, but the point is again he's dealing with with the propriety of the ladies in the context of the Lord's day meeting, so all this is the context then in the second half of 1 Corinthians eleven he, he deals specifically with the abuse of the Lord's Supper, so this whole thing is is all kind of uh, it's it's all tied in with the way the Corinthians were behaving at the Lord's Day meeting, and so we've seen they're abusing the love feast. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's answer to that is, don't stop having the love feast, do it right, do it honouring to the Lord, do it the way you should do. Now. The other problem that Corinth was having, because of course we, we, we saw earlier that when churches came together, it wasn't just for the love feast, it was for a time, a corporate time together. And this is now what Paul turns to um, to deal with in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, perhaps what we'll do is we'll just do a bit of picking and choosing <coughs> among our verses, but I just want you to see these chapters in the context of what I've said about what biblical churches are like and, you know, sort of, and the problems that Paul was actually dealing with. And I think you might see these chapters in a very different light to what you've been used to in the past. Because what we're looking for is the push behind them. At the end of the day, Paul is here dealing with what you can and can't do on the Lord's Day meeting, but how you can and can't do it. So, by looking at this, we're seeing exactly what they did. We know they had the Lord's Supper as a full meal, because 1 Corinthians 11 deals with that, but now we're looking at the other things. So, let's, let's just start reading um, in 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, in, uh, in, in, chat, in verse 4, he says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God, who works all of them in all men. And he says, Now to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, I don't want to particularly get into defining what the gifts of the Spirit are. Paul does that now. That's not that's part of what a church does when it comes together, but that's, that's broader than the specific thing that I'm trying to, to bring out, although if use of the gifts comes up later in discussion, that's absolutely fine. But basically, in this part, Paul is establishing there are supernatural gifts that God gives that are there to be experienced, ministered, within the context... Of what is this? A church coming together on the Lord's Day. So we know he's addressing a situation where a small group of people come together in someone's house as a church for the love feast and for what we're going to be looking at now. But catch that thing there, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Now if we move on into verse 12, we have this. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. And what Paul is saying there is that although there's lots of individuals involved, because we're believers, we come together in the one body. So you've got the contrast, we're individuals, but we are not individualistic. We have an identity in our corporate relationship. So what he's outlining here is the fact that, yeah, I am an individual, but to be fully me, I need to be rightly placed in a corporate context of ongoing relationship long-term with other believers whom I can know well and prove love for and who can know me well and prove their love for me. You see, and that's, that's how a, a corrective discipling relationship goes on. It's a, a long-term thing. You know, I mean, sort of bling, and I reckon, in regards to Bethany growing up, We've, we've put a lot of work into her growing up so far, but we reckon it's going to take another 18 years or so, you know, it's because she's only two and a half. So so it takes time to uh, raise children, doesn't it? You, you know, you don't do that in a hurry. And uh, now, we're going to read from verse 14. And, and, and Paul is now saying, he's drawn the picture, corporately you're a body, and now each individual who's there in that church is one of the bits of the body. All right? So let's now follow his argument. He says... Now the body is not made up of one part but many If the foot should say because I'm not a hand I do not belong to the body it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body and if the ear should say because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body If the whole body were an eye where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, can you see his argument? it's, It's ridiculous to have arguments between different parts of my body as to which bit of it is more important. As long as each part of my body is functioning as it should, I'm okay. But if parts of my body start falling out with each other, I'm in trouble alright, I'm ill, bad, okay now what he specifically he deals here now with two types of people and when you get people together, we're we're all different characters and temperaments and stuff like that and in these verses we've just read he addresses a particular type of person and he's saying wouldn't it be ridiculous if, if, if my ear suddenly thought oh, I think the eye is much more important than me oh, goodness, no, I'm not an eye, I'm just an ear, I'm not going to work anymore. Bang! you're deaf. Um, Or, 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 you know, if my nose says, oh, goodness, I'm just a nose, I'm not a, you know, I'm I'm not a mouth. Oh, dear, no, I'm, I'm inferior to the mouth, I'm going to stop smelling. You see, this is what Paul is saying. He's talking here about the Christians with the inferiority complexes. He's talking here about Christians who are sitting there thinking, there are other people I'm sure that God can use better than me. I'm not them. I'm not going to work. There's nothing for me to do. So the push here, he is established, and this is within the context of a church coming together in someone's house on the Lord's Day for the love feast and to have a time when the whole church is gathered together as a church. Remember, at the love feast, you're chatting with each other. Here we're talking about that aspect of our day together when the church is sitting there as a church. The whole family is concentrating on the whole family. All right. So he says, there are going to be people who hold back. And he says, no, don't hold back. And he's already said to so each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So he says, you Christians who don't think you have something to bring, he says, you have So, okay, you might not be able to suddenly say, oh, I see it now, I'm going to do it next week. But at least start getting convinced that God wants to share with the body through you as well. So, don't have an inferiority complex. Don't sit there thinking you've got nothing to contribute. You have and something unique as well. Now, in verse 21, he now addresses a different type of person. So, let's read this. The eye cannot say to the hand... I don't need you and the head cannot say to the feet I don't need you I mean how will fold my head get if my feet didn't want to take it there <laughs> See, the whole thing is moving together every part, playing its part on the contrary those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment and I'll be back to that in a sec. but God has combined all the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it so there should be no division in the body that its parts should have equal concern one for another if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. He now turns to the people who think that they have so much to contribute that there's no need for anyone else to. See, And he now turns to the, you know, the outward going, the Christians who could end up dominating. So he's addressed the Christians who are of themselves, they don't do enough. And now he addresses other Christians who of themselves would end up doing far too much and would end up dominating. Now, this only makes any sense at all if Paul is trying to get everyone to take part. Now, this thing about less honourable parts of the body, you see, because this raises questions, you know, and you think, yeah, but surely aren't there going to be people in churches who, from the human point of view, they might not be very good communicators, they might not be very bright. They might not be very clever. Blah, blah, blah. Now, this is to think in a worldly way. And the Bible tells us that where to view people, where to view things how Jesus sees them, not how we see them. And Paul says, look, in regards to your own body, I mean, you, you know, sort of like you might have, you know, real, real clever, outward-going people. And if you were going to bring a non-Christian along, they're the ones you want them to meet. The outward-going, the, you know, the old clever clogs, as we call them, or whatever. And, you know, if there are the embarrassing people, well, we'll, we'll keep that. We'll save them for later. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll bring them out later. Okay. Now, now, what Paul is saying, look, we all know for our own human bodies there are the parts that we don't mind everyone seeing and there are the parts that we don't want anyone to see, except maybe within the context of marriage and family, obviously. And he says, what is our relationship as a human body to those parts of our body? we take even greater care of them, we spend more time on them than we do the other parts of our body. You see? So what Paul is is, is saying, that where does the work need to be concentrated on? Bringing those forward who hang back. Can you see? If you've got people who are well able to share and to speak and to address a group of people, well, you've got no problem with them. They're fine. You know, the problem you've got with them is holding them back. But the real work has got to be, a church must create um, a a, a setting, an an atmosphere, a a kind of a, a, a mayor that is conducive for the shyest person to get brave, you see. Now why is Paul arguing for this? Because when churches came together, for their corporate time as a church, the idea was for the Holy Spirit to move through everyone gathered. Now, can you see the point? These verses make not the slightest bit of sense in an unbiblical church. What is the whole point (coughs) Paul is making here? A church must be set up so that when it comes together, everyone has a chance to participate and to address and to speak to that church and to edify it. What possible application could this have? in a church that has a service that is led from the front where you join in the singing and that's it this is the opposite of a service this is not something led from the front this is not something with one person up there doing it and others watching it Paul forbids that that's the very thing Paul forbids he's saying everyone should be taking part Everyone should be playing their part in it. Also, he says, look, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now, again, this is meaningless if churches are big. This only has meaning if you're small. How can you bear one another's burden? How can you bear the burdens in the church you're part of if there's loads of people in it? And it might be small. You might be in a small, unbiblical church, but probably you still don't <laughs> know each other very well because you just see each other at meetings. Now, also, with, with this thing if one part of the body suffers, again, carnal thinking kind of thinks that there's the people who are not very significant at the corporate level. Again, not much to contribute, whereas there are the others with the impressive ministries and things like that. Now then, the chances are that you don't give too much thought to your little toe. But can you remember the last time you stubbed it? I'll bet you couldn't think about anything else, you see. So, in a church, a biblical church that is like a body, if someone is in special need, the rest of that body is there. that's all they can focus on because someone is in trouble. But if someone is being blessed, the whole body is blessed because you know about it. now then, in, in verse 27, he, 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 he continues, you know and he's saying that there are ministries that go wider than local church as well, can and uh, you it? It? yeah, sure. If, if you've got a question raised at that point, please do.
1: Yeah, the what does he say in there about the weak parts? He says uh, the members which seem to be more weak are necessary. Hmm.
0: Any
1: thoughts on that? Particular well,
0: he's, he's contrasting. Here, he's, he's talking about the people who can say, hey, I'm the eyes, I don't need the ear. The, these are people who think that they're it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That they think, I am the man, okay. And, and so I'll share, 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 I'll share you to death you know, do you know what I mean? And, and, and so people where the gathering is dominated by their input now it's in that context, you That's see, right. when, when that wins out you think that others who perhaps aren't so good at speaking uh, aren't quite so witty or whatever, you name it then we think of them as the weaker, and Paul isn't saying, he's saying this is carnal thinking he's correcting this thinking and he's saying even in your own body if you think you've got a dishonorable part of your body, you give it more attention, not less because he's saying the people you've got to work on is drawing out the shy ones, you see, and uh, so 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 that's the context. Uh, then, sorry, please, Carol. Sorry, I don't
2: need no, that's fine. Please, please do. But, um, are you going to be getting into how we address this issue? Because I know everybody here may be thinking of a person that tends to dominate a meeting. Is it on our knees in prayer? Um, is it, and also the ones that are weak, are, is it um, trying to draw out of them at the meeting some way that the Lord is working in their life? This is a very difficult thing mm, for yeah. me. You know, what are the mechanics, if, if you will, of, of how this is done? Um, since we're really not used to this, we haven't been in a house church setting,
3: yeah.
2: how do we work in concert with the Spirit of God to cause this to come about to where... We do have every part of the body mm,
0: yeah. being loved to the Lord and, and really you know, being in church. Yeah, well, I, it's, it's, it's certainly something that, firstly, it needs to be against an atmosphere that, that is to do with, 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 with our corporate life together outside of the Sunday meeting in the context of ongoing loving relationships where, where people feel safe. That's, that's the first thing. Now, in in early days, like if a a church forms together, and you may have people who, you know, kind of, they know what the Bible says, they, they know what it should be, and that's the place to begin. You know where you're going. Now, it doesn't always matter how long it takes to get where you're going, as long as you're moving in the right direction. Now, if you've got, you know, sort of say you might have a group of, you know, maybe three, four families who are just getting together and they're saying, hey, look, we, we are going to have we're, we're going to do this biblically. We're going to be a church. We're going to be a church like Jesus wants. Now, you know, sort of like you may find in a situation like that that maybe um, they're one of the guys in one of the families is a fairly capable, you know, kind of speaker and, and can share and things like that. And it could be that the other people tend to hold back now there would be no problem in infancy with someone who could take a lead maybe drawing people out just casually saying well okay look is is there anyone who's got something they'd like us to pray for or has someone here got something to share from the scripture so a prompting and remember although certainly the spirit will move spontaneously When it comes to sharing anything from the Scripture, however briefly, they're now wrong with getting that from the Lord before and preparing it during the week, you see. So we can all be encouraging each other to do that. But the point is, there wouldn't be a problem with someone who who felt able to being like a drawer out of everyone else and and taking a lead in that sense, as long as that person is himself drawing back in his contribution to the extent others are coming forward you see what I mean? So, so we're not saying, um, you know, that sort of say there you are. You're saying, right, okay, we're going to meet together as a biblical church. And so you think, okay, we'll have the love feast later. Let's have our open sharing time, okay? And you sit there and there's this long silence. And and, and and kind of, and no one dares to say anything in case it's taking the lead. That's no problem. That's no problem at all. As long as we know that, that, that in the early days, until everyone's getting the hang of it, and in some ways church life is 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 never right we've got the hang of it. <coughs> it's always getting the hang of it. Um, you know, do you, do you, in England when people learn to drive, do you have L plates on the car? You know, to indicate you've got a driver who hasn't passed the test. Well in England if, if if you haven't passed your driving test, if you're driving you have a big red L on either side of the car, you know, the front and the back, L plates. And that indicates that you're a learner, so everyone else can <laughs> take the appropriate measures. And uh, and uh, a very good friend of mine who's with the Lord now always used to say we never take our L plates off and of course we don't of course we don't and uh, so, so there's no problem in someone being forward in that sense drawing people out as I say as long as you know that this as long as you don't go making him the pastor and turn it into a home church service because then you're not biblical anymore you see so, so, so we don't need to you know to fear that because we know where we're moving to this is the point and uh, you know, and it's from scripture because we know how it should be we at least know where we're going to yeah
2: um, can you run real quickly how we know that this is um, that all the, the different parts of the have to exercise in the church meeting and not
4: just in church life in general
0: yeah right well probably in answer to that if we keep going now th- through the scripture and get the fuller because Paul deals with this over three chapters oh, okay so we'll keep dealing with it um at, at the end of, of of 1 corinthians 12 he he deals with the fact that, that that there are ministries and giftings that can go wider than one church uh you know sort of trans local ministries like you know apostles and prophets and you know and pastors teachers who might travel around helping more than one church i mean okay they have a role and a function in their their church that they are part of but they might be shared out. You know, indeed, my, my church shares me out to anyone else who's even vaguely interested. And uh, say, so well, go help them, you know. And, uh, well, you know, it gets short at me for a while. At any rate, if nothing else. And, uh, yeah, gets me out of the way. And, um, and you know, and, and he's dealing with that ministries like that do exist. But again, you know, he says, but at the end of the day, realise that, that everyone is not the same. There are, we all have different functions. But the point is... Not to be wanting to do someone else's function, but to make sure that everyone is doing the function that they're called to. And for those who would naturally be too forward, let them learn how to step back and and let others. But for those who would naturally hang back, let them be drawn out. This is all the time the balance that he's dealing with. Now, 1 1 Corinthians 13, I'll, I'll just do this very quickly, because... Within the context, the, the Corinthians were quite rightly ministering the gifts of the Spirit. But they'd gone bananas. I mean, they, 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 they were just gone, gone, gone crazy. And so Paul is having to, they were obsessed with the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, they were eating, drinking, living, sleeping, the gifts of the Spirit. So that's all there was. And what Paul, Paul is saying, he says, look, there are two things you've got to understand. He says, number one, you might have all these gifts of the Spirit, but he says, where's your love for each other? Because they didn't have any. They were divisive. So we saw they were abusing the love feast. They were falling out with each other, taking each other to court. So Paul says first, he'll understand. I don't care what it is. If there's not love in it, it's valueless. He doesn't say throw it away. He says it's valueless. So he doesn't say get rid of it. He says put the love in it. And even martyrdom, he says you can even give your body up to the flames. But if it's not love. So, you know, so he's saying firstly, you've got all these gifts of the spirit. Yeah, great. But show me the love that must be there. And then the second thing that he's arguing, that, that's to do with their characters. But the second thing he says is, look, you've got to understand something about these gifts of the Spirit. He says, here, you're obsessed with them. You think they're all that matters. They're, they're the best things since sliced bread. And in many ways, they are. But what he's, he's, he's saying is, look, what you've got to understand, you're obsessed with these gifts of the Spirit. Now, he said, look, when I was a child, I, I, I kind of enjoyed my train set. But when I grew up, it lost all, you know, it was nothing to me, a mere toy. Now, this is a bad example, because I still love train sets. Uh, you know, but, can, you know, can you see the point? He says, when I was a child, there are all sorts of things that engrossed me and fascinated me and meant ever such a lot to me. And, uh, and he said, that was fine when I was a child. But he says, I've grown up now, and they're mere toys. They're of no lasting importance. Now, what he then does, he says, and in exactly the same way, he says, one day, when we are glorified and with the Lord, we will be grown up. And remember, the gifts of the Spirit are tools. That's what they are, they are tools. They're like spades to dig a garden. That's all the gifts of the Spirit are. And he says, those tools that you're so obsessed about are for this life. Well, he says, we're not going to be in this life very long. Most of our time will be in eternity. Once we get there, we're all grown up. And he says, these gifts of the Spirit that you're so obsessed with now... Then, when you're with the Lord in glory and that's, that's the perfect that comes when you're with the Lord in glory he says then you won't need the gifts of the spirit they'll be like your train set was when you were a little boy so, so that's his argument so he's saying for heaven's sake get these gifts in the, of the spirit in their proper context love is what matters most but get your relationship with the gifts of the spirit right you're obsessed with it it's got to stop and then what he does is in chapter 14, he moves into regulating their abuse of these gifts in the context of their corporate gathering. Because remember, if you have a situation where everyone is free to participate, then obviously the, the opportunities for all manner of chaos and domination is wide open. Now, what the Corinthians were doing, it seems, is, uh, you know, kind of particularly with tongues, is that they were just all praying out loud in tongues together, just praying out loud in tongues together. And Paul said, what's the point in that? He says, yeah, if someone has a tongue, and then someone interprets, so the rest of the body knows that prayer, or that praise to God that you've spoken in your spirit, fine. He says, great. He says, everyone is, you know, edified. But he says, if you just speak in tongues and leave it there, so he's saying, look, keep your personal tongues out of the public gatherings. Only speak in tongues in the gathering if you are so led with reasonable confidence that there are people who can interpret. And he says, even then, I mean, you know, I'm not going to go into all the numbers, but he says, but don't let it be an hour or an hour and a half of just tongues and interpretations, for heaven's sake. He says, you know, have a bit of that, that's fine, then leave it there. Now yeah, he says prophecy. And, uh, you know, he says you may all prophesy one by one. Now then, that tells us two things. It tells us, again, and this is what I'm showing you, that when apostles planted churches, when those churches came together on the Lord's Day, everyone was free to participate. No one led. It wasn't a service. You may all prophesy one by one. And it also tells me, and I said this earlier, the thing about unbiblical churches, it's just not that they're not biblical about how they do it, they're anti-biblical. They forbid you to do what the Bible says. What possible application can you may all prophesy one by one have on a Sunday morning in an unbiblical church? Right. You know, yeah. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, our, our, you know, our big leaders preaching away just love being interrupted by the word of the <laughs> Lord, don't they? You know, I mean, it's, you know, can you see the point? So with prophecy, he says, right, okay, look, have two or three prophecies, that's great. He said you can all do it, but he says, then stop. Paul's take it in, because he says, if, if it just becomes words, 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 if you've got just bang, 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 prophecy, prophecy, prophecy prophecy, we might as well speak out tongues in you know out loud, because if, if you've just got words, 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 if you don't take them in, they're meaningless words, so they might as well be uninterpreted tongues. you see so so, so the whole push is what Paul, Paul is saying is that with this freedom to, for you know each person to be taking part. This, this doesn't mean that there's going to be chaos. And remember, a lot of the chaos comes from the people doing too much, you see. And, um, you know, so he's giving all these rules, and he gives rules for singing in tongues, and, you know, and singing, um, you know, in in the spirit, and, and you know, and all that. But uh, eventually, as as, as as we go through it, we, we come to um verse 26, and he deals with things about tongues being a sign for believers and, and prophecy from believers, and then he totally contradicts himself about that, but that isn't something I can get into here. And, uh, but then we come to, 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 to verse 26, and he says, What shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. So what we're seeing is this. Again, when you come together, each one hath as the King James says. <clears throat> so, so, again, this is the very nature of when the church comes together. Now, we saw this morning, of course, church is a family. What do families do? They hang out together. They spend time together as a family, and they eat together. So, so the point is that, that you know, as, as, as we gather on, on the Lord's Day as a church, it doesn't matter what order you do this in, love, love feast first or after, I mean, it's neither here nor there, but, 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 but when, when there's this corporate <coughs> time, This is the whole push of what Paul is saying. He's established you're a body with many parts. One church made up of individuals. Move together. Let everyone be taking part. Every part of the body must function. The parts of the body that say, no, I've nothing to contribute, Paul says, not true. The parts of the body that say, only I am going to contribute, not true. Everyone, see? And, and, and all the rules, and to make sure that it doesn't turn into chaos, and, and, and the overarching thing is that everything must be done for the building up of the body. So again, in this completely open, participatory time that a church has, you can't just share anything again, you see. You know, I mean, it's not the place to come thundering in with something corrective about the brother over there. You know, one says, "Ha, huh, I don't like the way he drinks his beer." Another one says, well, "I don't like the fact he drinks beer anyway." You yeah. know, and it, that's not the place. That that's that's to be done person to person. All right. So this isn't, you know, neither is it a time I put it to you to be struggling with with Calvin's fifth point. Yeah. And um, but I suppose if you're predestined to, you will. But I mean, <laughs> put that up. You know. But 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 what? What you're wanting is, is you're just wanting the Lord to be moving through the gathered body. It doesn't mean that everyone is going to contribute every meeting. Although you can. We have permission for that. Everyone has permission to prophesy every time a church comes together. But it doesn't mean you've got to. But what Paul is saying is that start to move. Expect that the Lord wants to share through you. And, very, you know, a hymn. Now, one thing, biblical churches don't have worship leaders. They, they, they don't have it, because that, that's back to service. You know, I mean, you might have a couple of guys with, with the guitars or whatever, and one of the ladies with their harps, or, you know, I mean, you know. But, but the point is, they're not necessarily leading any sung aspect of the gathering. Someone says, hey, let's sing this, or they can just start singing something. That's fine. That's, you know, you're all doing it together. So, so singing at that aspect of praise and worship is there, prayer, just prayer, verbal praise and worship, intercession for people. That that's all um, a revelation. Somebody may have a oh yeah, hey, I think the Lord's showing me. Obviously, anything revelatory must be tested. You don't just accept it because it's been given. It's got to you know pan out. And if you think it doesn't, just put it to one side. Um, you know, uh, and uh, you know, so and, and he says, tongue and interpretation, all these things are allowable as long as they're done within the parameters that keep order, and as long as the net effect is that it's edifying the church. And so this is this is very wide open.
3: Excuse yeah, me. please. I was reading a little bit about uh, Evan Roberts a couple of weeks ago, 1904. Oh, right, yeah. They said there were about 100 men besides him involved in the revival. And about uh, the music, they said they'd be, they listed off, there'd be all these families, the family, Job or whatever you know, there would be singing groups. And they'd be there. But they wouldn't. Yeah. Some nights they wouldn't have any singing. They but they they made a point they never would announce that there's going to be singing. There's going to be a program with singing on it. But they would just spontaneously mm. sing, And uh, somebody would start an audience. on one of those groups, if they felt led to, mm. you know, but even though they were there, they didn't sing every night. Didn't always have singing. Mm. They were there if the spirit would lead because they had that gift. I guess you know, but. Yeah. No, do it the way we do it
0: no no, no no that's right i mean the, you know that the whole point is again that this is a total denial of church services in any shape or form and you know so so it's it's wide open for 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 any of these things to be happening and of course what we're looking for is an ongoing balanced mixture now let me just, you know, sort of like, you know, address one or two other things that, are, you know, that come up and, and obviously anything I've not covered, just ask away. Because when, when people form into biblical churches, I mean, one of the big questions that come up is they say, what about the children? Now, you may or may not have young children, uh, you know, obviously Belinda and I have got Bethany, so I mean, it relates to us. So, so, what do you do with the children? Are the children there in the sharing time? Uh, or, or do you get a shot of them or whatever? Now, it seems to me that one of the really important little things to, you know, to see in the Scripture, it's a small thing, but it's a very profound thing. Firstly, it's hard for us to understand the early church didn't have the New Testament. They, they had the teaching of the apostles. which was slightly different. So no one could go home and read their Bible. Um, but what would happen is that if, 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 if another letter turned up that had apostolic kind of OK stamped all over it, might have been a gospel, might have been Paul's letter to Timothy or whatever now this would be read to the church so each church will get a turn at it now it's interesting when Paul wrote to Timothy now Timothy was not a pastor of a church Timothy and Titus were not there's no such thing as the pastor of a church it doesn't exist in the Bible Timothy and (coughs) Titus were apostles who were helping groups of churches until they had their own elders then they'd have naffed off as we say in England right And uh, you know, so so I don't think that Timothy and Titus were pastors. They weren't. The the designation, the pastoral epistles. I mean, totally misleading. They were apostles, and they simply were there to raise up eldership. Once the churches had their own internal leadership, no more need for an apostle, and as I said, he can naff off. And um, so, so, but but one of the things that Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, attend to the public reading of Scripture. Now, does that mean that every Sunday we've got to publicly read a portion of Scripture? Well, indeed, if you're so led, do! I'm not saying you mustn't, but that isn't, of course, what Paul's referring to. What Paul's referring to is that if, if you know, another bit of Scripture t- came, so Paul's written to Timothy, this is Scripture, so Timothy... Yeah, So, so if Scripture turned up, someone who could read would then read it to the church. Now, remember, we're not talking about here big churches. We're talking about it will go from church to church until they, they've all had it read to them. So, so the thing is, Paul just worked on the assumption that new scripture that was received would be read, each church would have it read to them by someone who could read. Yeah, you know, and indeed, if others in the church could read, I mean, I guess they could have handed it round and read it for themselves. But it would be read. This was how it was done. Remember in the Old Testament... Um, you know, sort of like, you know, eventually the Levites, they would read, read the law to everyone, okay. Now, the thing is, when Paul, in various of his letters, deals with with practical matters of husbands and wives and parents and children and slaves and masters (coughs) and all this kind of stuff, he's writing letters that he knows will be read out to all the dozens of little churches. They'll be passed round until everyone's heard it, okay. Now then, what's interesting is that when he gets to the part about dealing with relationships between family, he says, you know, like, right, wives, submit to husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ love the church, and, and, and parents, make sure your children obey you. Ah. He said, children, obey your parents. Now, why did he say that? Well, because the kids were there. You know? I mean, you know, he didn't say, uh, oh, oh yeah, get the kids in from the Sunday school, when you read this bit because the children were part of the church so there's no question of Sunday school you may or may not yeah, you know, in, in the context of church in your day together you know, I mean, you'll, you'll hang out a bit with the kids go and play football or whatever you know, and you just hang out time you know, after the sharing or whatever before you have the love feast. but the point is the early church did not the, the, the church was not seen as the means of children being taught that is the work of parents it's not the job of the church to disciple the children as children. That's the job of the parents. The, the church disciples the parents. We disciple each other, and in doing that, then we're learning how to bring our children up. But it's not the job of the church to teach your children. We've had people leave our church when they've realised we have no plans for Sunday school. We've said, no, it's not our job to teach your children
2: oh, well, we're out of here, you know. I know
0: a church that has a Sunday school. Oh, no, actually, I know 50,000 churches that have a Sunday school. I'll go to one of them. And, uh, you know, so the kids are there. And if you think about it, what's the best way for your children to grow up, not just, obviously, to, you know, to be brought up in the fear and nurture of the Lord, but what's the best way for them to learn up, you know, to grow up, knowing what church is all about, or sit there and watch mum and dad do it for a few years, and try it themselves. Um, You know, watch watch mum and dad pray. And do it themselves
3: it didn't start about 1850, like that?
0: I believe that's the case and I think as well it was it, it, it was originally conceived now I might be wrong about this but I think it was originally conceived not to teach children the Christian faith but to teach them to read so they could read the Bible
2: right, but didn't you yeah sorry Great Britain all the best things, dude. <laughs>
3: Sorry about the Sunday school
0: movement, but then, but then, I mean, I, 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 I know that everything unbiblical now originates from America. <laughs> <laughs> but historically, it all originated from England originally. So yeah, we, we beat you to it. Through. Exactly, exactly. The motherland. Um, uh, yeah I mean obviously everything spreads through the colonies eventually um, so, so you know and, and this is the best way and of course the whole concept in the Bible of discipleship isn't as we commonly think learning that's, that, that's the idea of going to school or going to university and lecture format disciple it, it's apprentice that, that's the closest you get to in the Bible where where, where you learn by watching others do what you want to learn you you learn by observing them over a long period of time and and of course that's what parenthood is all about children grow up learning how to live because they see mum and dad doing it and equally important they see mum and dad repenting when they haven't done it see that's why it's so important there's no point teaching our children to say sorry when they've done something wrong if we won't say sorry to them if we've sinned against them That's that's a nonsense but this is the hypocrisy that generations of Christians have grown up with. They go to church and mum and dad are fighting in the car all the way. I mean, th- this is, you know, what is that teaching children? So the point is, with, with, within the context of church, the children are part of the church. <coughs> And um, you know, and I, mean, I mean, the you know the real younguns for our you know our sharing time. I mean, we normally have an hour, maybe an hour and a quarter for that, if you like that aspect of our gathering. Uh, I mean, you know, we don't think it's unreasonable, uh, you know, for children to learn to sit quiet for an hour and an hour and a quarter. But the emphasis is quiet. I mean, you know, if, if they've got a, a book they're sitting on the floor reading or they want to sit on someone's lap or bring the lego in well that's fine and they'll 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 take it in as as they grow they'll they'll take it in to the extent that they're ready to no big deal and uh you know and of course kids love biblical church because you know they 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 quite like that bit but then afterwards you you can be playing with everyone and you know if if it's not raining so we don't do this much in england you can go out in the garden (laughs) and play football with them or something it's great and then you have the love feast or whatever order you do things but again, what is family? It's family, and, and and with everyone taking part, every everyone growing in the Lord together, and everyone being the means of everyone else growing in the Lord as well. It's not just that you know always receiving, but giving as well. You know that, that we all have a part to play in blessing others, and uh, you know so so I mean the children's thing is, is 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 very very important. So so think 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 of those of you who aren't in biblical churches. <coughs> think of all the churches you've been to. Totally reverse it, and you're there. <laughs> boom, boom. Just think of the opposite. And, and, and. Yeah, please.
2: Uh, can you help with this? Uh, how is it then, brethren? And then he talks about the prophets. Yeah. And then he talks about the human being silent. Yeah. It's almost like he's saying, "Well, I would just like to hear you elaborate a little
0: on that." Yeah, sure. Now, <clears throat> we we have this, this this verse at the end of um. The chapter, as in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is a disgraceful, it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, there there are those in biblical churches (coughs) whose consensus as a church is that that stands just as it is. And, and, and indeed in, in those gatherings you you wouldn't have one of the ladies address the church that, that would be the principle so obviously when you're having the love feast you're not addressing the church you're just kind of chatting so so the, the when you come together each one has anything that was verbal or directed to the church they would say that is for the men folk now it's quite clear um, from when Paul writes <coughs> to Timothy that certainly the women shouldn't teach and we know that the ladies shouldn't be elders, okay? But there are churches that would say this stands, so their women don't speak within the context of the the gathering part. Now, that's that's not where we are as a church, and for this reason, um, because we we kind of see that if 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 our understanding is correct that in 1 Corinthians 10, as I said earlier, Paul's already leading up to his argument about getting the Lord's Supper in order. Then in chapter 10, he's dealing with the Lord's Day gathering in chapter 10. Well, if that's the case, in chapter 11, which is obviously still talking about the Lord's Day, he, he says this thing about, you know, should women, when they pray and prophesy, should they be veiled or not? Now, as I say, my understanding of that is that they have long hair. But forget about what you know what that's <coughs> all about. But the point is, it seems to me that Paul writes this about the women being silent, having already said, um, in my understanding, they should have long hair when they pray and prophesy. Or they should have a sign of being in submission to their husbands when they pray and prophesy. So when Paul writes this, to my mind, he's already taken it for granted that the women are participating verbally, that they're prophesying, that they're praying. So therefore, this silence that he's talking about here, therefore, logically, would be a limited silence. So then I asked myself, so what's the immediate context in which he says it? And the immediate context, let's actually read it. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. So you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Firstly, imagine a situation where Paul's saying, look, if someone is speaking, even prophesying, and there's someone else obviously bubbling over with something, let the first one sit down and let the other take over. That is the opposite of dominating. Can you see? The whole push is defer to others, get everyone taking part. That's the first thing. But what we've got here are instructions for prophecy. And not only that, but testing. So what he's saying is that... um. That, 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 that if if prophet, if prophecies are spoken then 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 prophets should weigh carefully what's said. Now 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 let's just think about this. We have prophecy today and how do we test it? By scripture. We've got scripture. <coughs> okay. Um, so that's no problem. Prophecy can come, the church can judge the prophecy and that judging of prophecy is according to scripture. Now as I already said earlier The Corinthian church, the early church, didn't have the scripture. They had the apostles and their teaching, but they didn't have the completed scripture. So, if prophecy came through, against what could they test it? Well, they could test it against what they knew of the apostles' doctrine. But because that wasn't yet fully written down, you could hardly say, hey, I think that prophecy is wrong, or based on this verse here, but it just couldn't do it. Now, it's also the case that it's possible that one of the applications of prophecy in the early church, and this wouldn't apply to today, there was a totally unique apostolic gift in the early church, the 12 minus Judas plus Paul, because they had the infallible teaching of Jesus that became the New Testament. So we have an apostleship that isn't around today, that's gone, unique only for them. And I think we have a prophethood that was only around then, and not for today. Because I think it's very possible that for churches, until they had all the scriptures available in the written word of God fully put together and compiled, it's possible that prophecy partly provided them with scripture and doctrinal truth. But because the church couldn't test it against the Bible, the best test they had was the ministry of mature brothers who also understood what it was to move in prophecy. So by definition, that would be something that would probably fall to the elders. Women can't be elders. So in that discussion, can you see, in a, a prophecy might come through, and it might need dealing with there and then. I think the elders would have done it Okay, the brothers might have joined in, but because it it was the elders doing it, the women couldn't. So it seems to me that there's an immediate context there of the testing of prophecy, and I think possibly against the background that the Corinthian church, unlike us, didn't have the Scriptures. So there was no objective test. So because we have that test, probably that don't too much apply today, in that sense, because we have the Scriptures, in the sense that we don't need apostles like those original ones. Because we got the scriptures. It was the apostles and the prophets together. Do you Remember Paul in Ephesians talks about the church built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I don't think that's talking about apostles and prophets working together, planting churches. It was apostles and prophets together that gave us New Testament revelation. And this is the truth that the church is built on. This is how we know everything we need to know pertaining to salvation, church life, and everything else. And, um, you know, so, so that, that's how I would answer that. But um, I, 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 I think, you know, it, it's... You know, and each church must come to a consensus on this. Because remember, one of the reasons for there being no hierarchical leadership is that you don't... Because a New Testament church doesn't need anyone to tell it what to do. You've got the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is with you, and the early church, they found things out consensually is what John has been talking about. You don't just say, okay, right, now here's the problem. Oh, right, okay, yeah, what's the pastor going to do about it? And then he dictates policy and you follow. That's a nonsense. <clears throat> you, you thrash these things out together as a gathered body. And so, therefore, there um, are, you know, sort of those, uh, there are biblical churches uh, that in regards to the head covering, they think that does refer to a head covering. So their ladies have a head covering. Other churches just think it's long hair, so the ladies have long hair. These are things where each church must find its own consensus. And, you know, where we mustn't kind of go beating each other up, saying, oh, how could I have anything to do with an otherwise biblical church where the women don't speak? That's silly. You know, and, 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 you know, so if if Belinda and I um, are with a church where the women don't speak on the Sundays, well, Belinda will, of course, defer to that. At our church back home she'll share feel free to but on the other hand if we have someone visiting us from, from a church where their ladies don't share well we don't say to our ladies no sharing today <laughs> and they, you know, we just expect them to be big enough to go with the flow this is as I say the authority resides in the church and, and, and so for things like that you're going to find variations you're going to find varieties I think I would, sorry. I,
1: would um, I would think that you know the word of God being our authority and you know, our practice is to want to come to unity with other churches like this doctrine I mean the, the women in our church don't speak during the meeting that's what we believe the word's teaching you know we just really want to obey the word of God and we have that desire that other churches as we come in contact with them you know God allows that to happen we want to talk about these things openly, honestly. People keeping good attitudes, mm-hmm. not a, mm-hmm. you know beat up on each other, and getting a shouting, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll half listen to you until I get to say my thing again. You mm. know, not like that. But, you know, I just, um, I, I've loved what you shared. I mean, I thought you shared a lot of great stuff. Just on that one point. You know, to me it seemed like maybe that was a little short of just I, what I think Paul's calling them to here is this understanding, just like all scriptures. I mean, we want to get the understanding and we want to walk that out. And, you know, and it's... Uh, I, mean, I, I just, you know, anybody that wants to talk about that issue, I mean, mm. not not to fight about it, but I would just love to, you know, somebody... Mm. Spoke well, I there. do have
2: another follow-up question. Mm, yeah. Um, not knowing that much about the Greek um, word brethren, is that a masculine or is that a beloved type generic term to...
0: I, I couldn't answer that without going to books. I mean, I, I don't speak Greek. Um, I mean, it, it, it's all Greek to me. Um,
5: uh, it it so. does seem,
2: though, if he is speaking to the males, and then he comes down to that verse where it says, mm. "Now, as far as the women, let them keep silent." I know in our group we have decided that it seemed best—the application seemed best in its immediate context—that. If someone, if one of the men spoke something that was not correct, it was up to the other men to correct them, the other
0: women. I think we would buy into that as a fellowship. The, 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 but of course, we, we would see that as being tied up with the relationship, the male-female relationship.
3: Right.
0: Um, so, so, so in regards to, say, churches who, as I say, because of what Paul says about the head coverings, right. and, that's and that's the sticking point. If if that head coverings bit wasn't in one Corinthians eleven, I then I would buy into what you've said. Now what you I mean I totally honour you. I mean there are t- it seems to me that that, that, that that with these two things, totally honest people, honourable people before the law can come to different conclusions. Um, and and. and And so for me, a great deal depends on whether the 1 Corinthians 11 is talking about a Lord's Day meeting. If it is, and it seems to me it is, Paul has already assumed that women are speaking in the meeting. But put that aside, whether or not a church um, has the women free to speak or not, it seems that biblically what is non-negotiable, because it's nothing to do with interpretation, is the relationship between the husband and the wife and the man being the head. And this is why I said earlier that um, in regards that Paul establishes elsewhere that women are not to teach. Now, by that, I don't mean can't share a little something from a scripture on a Sunday, but I'm talking about directional teaching, like, like, like you know, sort of major regular Bible study. We, we, we'd have the guys doing that. Yeah.
5: Perhaps what we've got there is a posture of authority rather than submission. Pressed. I agree mm. with you completely. Mm. We went through this. And by the way, brothers and sisters, I discern a warm fellowship here. Oh, mm. if I could church with you all the time. Mm. But we went through this. And Satan, oh, he loves this mm. scripture. Yeah. Because he has found a place that he can drop the, the Satan mm. over yeah. and put us one against another. Mm. And I I love you for your... I, I discern a beautiful, warm fellowship. Mm. I truly seek you. For what it's worth we went through this. And we decided, as Bradford said, the point we came to was that the women obviously in Levin were prophesying. We thought it was in the ecclesia or in the Sunday Lord's uh, mm-hmm. day. Yeah. But the key two words we found was authority and submission. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if a woman takes the posture mm-hmm. of teaching, which clearly is prohibited. She's in a point of authority Mm, and not submission. That's right. She clearly could pray, prophesy, Mm. sing. Yeah,
0: sure. And Mm. the moment
5: she takes this into an authoritative mode does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Then she's Mm. out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean they pray on
0: that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean it's it's all tied up with we would see it non negotiable that women can't be elders. Now I'm not now reverting to saying that elders are a big authority over the church because they're not. No one is. Jesus is. Um, but nevertheless, there is a leadership, and of course, the, God has given that to the menfolk. Um, but you know, but I think for you know, for sort of like uh, you know, for my own understanding, I mean, so, say for instance, Steve Atkinson here. Now, the church of which he is part in um, Atlanta. Now, they're of the persuasion that the women don't speak. Now, say for instance, our, our church in England, where of the persuasion the women are free to partake but as long as the authority thing is understood and not you know, touched on, which is fine. And when, when Paul talks about, um, you know, to Timothy, I don't permit a woman to teach or to have authority over men, the Greek word is usurp, to usurp authority. As long as that's not <coughs> going on, fine. No problem as far as we're concerned. But the point is, the, the fellowship in Atlanta is quite happy to receive me, knowing that I'm of the opposite persuasion. Um, obviously, they know that we would honor their consensus while we were with them and Belinda would not share in the way that she would at home and quite equally and we can do that and love each other and honour each other and and say hey we are biblical churches together in this and Steve um, can come over to England and we receive him without hesitation even though his opinion is the opposite of ours on this it's not a problem this is where we defer to each other in love and uh, also I mean Steve and Dan steve would say the women don't speak and that's where the church he's at you know he's with is at dan's church takes the view more than i've said but steve and dan travel together working really closely teaching about biblical church these things needn't divide us and uh you know it's like um you know say from chicwell i mean we pray that other fellowships will be planted out and let's let's say that we've got some other churches that have come into being and, uh, you know, let's say that, you know, obviously we're helping them. Um, you know, maybe some of us would, you know, do some teaching there. We, we wouldn't be saying, hey, we're the mother church and we're over you. We'd just be helping them in any way we could. But let's say that one of them, one of these, these churches that's come into being, let's see, they said, hey, well, look, we're seeing all these scriptures about the women not speaking. And, let, you know, and they say, look, let's, let's really talk about this. Is This important. I would be very happy to show them both sides of the argument. And, and obviously they'd already know where I was. But if they as a church decided that they had a consensus that their women don't speak, well, okay, if, if they settle in a consensus on that, you know, I mean, not, not being ripped apart or anything like that, if, if anything was ripping a church apart, I'd say then take it off the agenda until you can put it on without it ripping you apart, all right? Um, but the point is, if that was their consensus, I would not say, OK, now here's a church to avoid. Um, of course not. That, that's the whole point. The church, the gathered church, has to struggle because I'm not, I mean, I'm not the chief elder at Chigwell, is. I'm not the chief elder at any other church, Jesus's. You sort it out with Jesus.
3: That's what it's about. Uh, there's, I was thinking uh, last night something you said, I can't remember exactly how it was, but in the discussion period at the end of the evening, and I was thinking about the old German word zeitgeist, you know, the spirit of the times, the tenor mm. of the times. It's like an enormously powerful mantle that just drapes over society. And I think a lot of this, uh, some of this problem comes from. Uh, the radical feminism, you know, and there's such, uh, the world has adopted that, uh, uh, has been induced to adopt that so strongly that mm. we we feel defensive and, and we feel uh, that, that's, that, that uh, spirit of the times, that zeitgeist has just rolled over us, mm. you know, and pulled us along and, and we just, uh, we don't quite know what to do with it. It's yeah. hard to oppose it. And a lot of what we do, I can't remember exactly how the discussion was last night, but a lot of what we do, I think we're, we're cowering and we're afraid of that a little bit, and we, we can't. It's so powerful that it's a real thing, you know, mm. the spirit of the times, mm. to, to stand in opposition to that. Oh, yeah. What you just said oh, yeah. it's what's going on. You know, we're, we're having to stand and explain mm. it, which is what Paul did. You know, He reasoned with people and discussed mm. it.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the greatest enemies we're up against today in the West is, is just political correctness. Um, we're, we're, we're bowing down to it. We're kowtowing to it. Mm-hmm. Now then, if it's, if it's politically correct to not be racist, I'm all for political correctness. <clears throat> but if it's politically correct to turn other things on their head and go against God's order, then I'm not for political correctness. But again, yeah, it is the spirit of the age. And, um, you know, I mean, I think the feminism that we're up against, we've, we've got to make sure that we are as clear in our churches, that chauvinism is an enemy as much as feminism. Because men, even Christian men, have oppressed women twisting scripture to have justification for it. Now that is inexcusable. And it seems to me the, the brothers best equipped to combat feminism coming into the church are the brothers most repentant of any chauvinism. If you see what I mean. And, uh, you know, I mean, sort of, I, I have no greater helper. No one advises me more. No one's wisdom do I seek more than Belinda. Now, I mean, she knows that mine is the ministry. Mine is the eldership. We're quite clear on that. And, and, and I draw on the wisdom of lots of people. But no one more than Belinda. She is my co-worker. That doesn't mean she's a co-elder in the church at home. She's not. But any idea that, that, now then, obviously the role between men and women is that it is wonderful to see the ladies at home making the nest, bringing up the children, the hardest, most important thing they'll ever do. And the women have got to do that more than the men. Uh, I'd even go so far as to say that God sends the man out to earn money to provide what's needed for the woman to do the really important bit. Raise the children and guard her family. Now, when you see that mutual partnership, you're not in competition with anyone. And, 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 and so we've got this, this partnership between the husband and the wife, where, where the order the order of God's authority is not touched at all, but you've got the most wonderful partnership. So I think that the point is that, that in, 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 in combating the feminism, and of course where this is really going to hit on biblical churches will be the issue of whether or not you have women elders. Now, Biblical churches will not have women elders. They will not have the women teach. That's where feminism is going to hit. But the point is, when it does hit, let it be, let everyone see that that, that the men folk have the most wonderful attitude to the women and and don't lord it over them in any way at all. Because we're co-equal partners. The, The difference is functional, not positional, in that sense. It's just, you know, different people doing their different functions. So, so we've got to watch out for both, but yeah, feminism is a new enemy in the church, yeah.
1: And just to say one more thing, and not to make a big discussion here, I, I mean, I'd love to talk about verses, but I'm just kind of holding mm, back, sure. and be, uh, kind of interpret it. I just, in the end, you know, I mean, I still would love to talk to people. I, I feel like a lot of, sometimes people end up picking and choosing. It's like, well, we'll all agree on this part, but it's okay if we don't all agree on this. And I don't look at that as is good. I mean, I I think there's a reasonable time and effort that it takes to come to agreement, but I think our goal should be, you know, it's not my goal to travel with somebody for years and, and to disagree on mm. something about how we're doing house mm. church when I'm going out teaching other people how to do house church. Mm. so my goal is to be one with people and, you know, and having that attitude that I'm willing to learn, mm. uh, you know, because if I just want to teach and I can't learn, then there's some
0: mm. bad... Oh, yeah, that. So yeah.
1: But, you know, I just, I, I still, you know, I do have that burden that yeah. it seems like we come to a sensitive <clears throat> issue and it's like we're going to, feel like people, you know, kind of run away
3: from that.
0: Uh, well, I don't yeah, that. let me just respond to that. If, if, if we were saying, or if there were people here saying, um, and there are lots of Christians who do, look, this thing about the women being silent and all this submission stuff, ah, just cultural. throw it away. That's not honourable. I got no time for that because there's nothing cultural, and it's precisely in that aspect of teaching that Paul most rigorously refers back to creation, not to culture. All right. So, so, so if 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 as most well, as, as most Christians in England do, they just say, "Oh, it's cultural." Paul didn't like women, and just with one casual a massive America too, a massive part of Scripture is just torn out and thrown away. Okay, then. That is not honourable, but the thing is in regards to the particular question of can women speak in church, in the gathering, the corporate gathering. Now the thing is that if you have a church that is saying, well our women do, and the reason they do is because we see in 1 Corinthians 11 that Paul assumed they were. Now you can argue we've got that verse wrong. But we don't know we've got it wrong. Can you see, we're not just saying, ah women, ca- uh, ah, women remain silent, oh, load of rubbish, chuck it out. The reason I say that this must be a limited silence is only because by the time I've read that, I've already read 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul says, now you ladies, when you pray and prophesy, make sure you're in right relationship to your husbands. And I take it to mean that the, the, the sign of that, of that authority structure is their long hair. That, that, that's my understanding. But the point is, um in if that that's not picking and choosing it, it's trying to fit two things together that don't go together very well but but it, it's, it's precisely it's not picking and choosing I'm actually saying, well let's hold both bits of scripture in tension Let, let's not throw 1 Corinthians 11 away but having said that'm I'm, I'm extremely close and 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 you know and and i always hold steve up as an example of that his honest conviction is different to mine and so is the conviction in his church but that is their honest understanding of scripture now as long as it's an honest understanding of scripture they're not you know doing it because hang hey, how can we be chauvinist oh yeah let's tell the women to shut up that's not it's based on biblical conviction so as long as as that's the case <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just throw this tape in, in, in a river. Um, and, um, <clears throat> no, but you know, can you say? I mean, I'm bending over backwards to say that, 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 that honourable believers who are truly struggling with the whole of Scripture, who aren't bowing down to feminism, who aren't in a million years going to accept women elders, who aren't in a million years going to say the husband isn't the head of the home. Nevertheless, in seeing this, they say, I have no problem with the women speaking in church, and for biblical reasons, but I totally honour the other re- equally honourable men say no, we think it means the women can't speak. And indeed, it's the same with the women folk. There are many honourable women who would agree with me, many honourable women who would agree with the position Steve has. So what I'm saying is, I don't see that, 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 that either Steve or I are twisting Scripture we're just honestly struggling with what we see the scriptures say, but coming to honest different opinions, but as I say if someone was saying, "Ah, "Look, you know, this is just all cultural anyway, of course women can be elders well no, the argument is for women elders it's for women ministers you know, women one man pastors if that makes any sense, can you see well I mean I wouldn't have any truck with that because I say no, the bible undoubtedly teaches that women cannot have authority over men it's an honest struggle, I, I don't know the answer to it
4: if I could add on to that, I know in my, uh, kind of where I'm at is the very fact that this type of thing exists, and as you just said, that, that uh, people who very seriously want to know the truth and are not willing to just chuck it, but want to know it, uh, can in good faith come to these to- totally different conclusions. Uh, in some sense, it seems to me, God would use that to keep us all humble and keep us in our place, and keep us to keep after him, and to keep searching. So that very fact that that thing exists, not just there, but I could think of 50 other examples of that. Um, it's is like a sign to me, okay? Because the, the thing that's natural in me is to assert my position, to tell you 60, 60 reasons why I'm right. And, you know, uh, and, and go... and, and, and uh, So that there's a check, you know, that I, that yeah. I seek. And something that's helped me here recently is I know I've got to know my mind on an issue, but at the same time not to have my mind made up. And I think mm-hmm. as, a, as a Christian, it should always be the case. But mm-hmm. We have our mind, and we are where we are. Mm-hmm. But kind of like that tabernacle we talked mm-hmm. about, if God wants to pick it up and move it, we better yeah. be following after it. And, yeah. and we better go, because maybe... He's going to show us little something more.
0: Mm. And, uh, so. Yeah, it's Steve, again, let me quote Steve, because I love this quote. And, uh, yeah, he said to me, it's, he said, I always believe I'm right, but I don't believe I'm always right. And that's the point. You can't be so open-minded that you dare assert anything. Because, I mean, yeah, I could be wrong about anything, but, no, not, not that Jesus has saved me. You see, we can't be so scared of being wrong that we don't assert anything, but with anything we assert, even though we know that we know that we know that we're right, let us nevertheless know that we're not always right. And, and there's a balance there. So I always know I'm right, because if I didn't know it, why would I say it? How would I dare teach it to others? But I know I'm not always right. So I've got my convictions, but they might be wrong. <laughs> but if they are, at least show me from this. Right. <laughs> that is all I ask. Hey, I think that's, um, that's probably it now. There's other people yeah, coming in.
2: Taking
0: on this oh! Thank no, you. I Appreciate nothing you. to do with courage. Talk, Steve told me to do it.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: he didn't really know. I was offered it and was very happy to do it. No, I chose it. I chose it. Yeah, but not because of the women's issue, just because of the open worship. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Hello, darling.
1: Hello.
0: Loud. Loud. I know. I was loud. But that is always loud, isn't he? Were you loud?
1: I'm
0: not. You. You're not. I've been speaking to the people. Who have I been talking about?
4: Jesus. I, mean me. I finished. Yes. No, you never, you're never oh, done. done. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: I've got half an hour to have a little play with you.
5: For more information contact the Chigwell Christian Fellowship on our website at www.house-church.org.